Hello. I'm nearly a week out from IPP's PSR in Austin, Texas, and still trying to recover my voice. I think that's partly because of the conference and partly because I stayed an extra night in Austin with my bestie who still works at the IPP and we wound up at Dueling Piano Bar. Um, if you haven't been, these things are just the best. It's just two pianists facing each other, taking cover song requests and demanding the crowd sing along. I did a lot of yelling, Billy Joel. There's video. Also, some rude dude in Austin looked at me while my bestie and I were ingesting some late night pizza and told me I had butter on my chin. So I like immediately panicked and rubbed my chin only to realize and have my bestie confirm there was nothing on my chin. So of course, I assumed the worst and all the way back to the hotel, I was Googling butter on your chin. And if you just Google butter on your chin, this is the answer you get. Quote, the only time you'd say there's butter on your chin is if the listener was previously aware of the butter, but they later forgot about the butter and you wanted to remind them about the butter. So I don't think that's what happened. Um, and again, I just want to reiterate that I had no butter anywhere near me and my chin was quite dry. But I'm telling myself because I'm trying to retrain my brain to think positively. Um, and I'm going to tell myself that he meant it to mean something much more lovely than Urban Dictionary indicates. Um, if you Google it and you look on Urban Dictionary, the meaning of that phrase varies drastically. And I can confirm it's not the version that Australians use, apparently, to say that your fly is down. Because I wasn't wearing pants. I was wearing a jumpsuit with no fly. I'm still traumatized about it. I can't stop thinking about it. I don't know what he meant. Um, speaking of things that happened in Austin, I want to tell you some of them. But first, a few of the latest headlines. So not to bring down the mood further, but I do need to tell you that the European Data Protection Board has decided to propose new GDPR data breach reporting guidance. And as Phil Lee noted in a LinkedIn post where I found this news, the change will be, quote, about as welcome as a cold cup of sick, end quote. Listen, I was an English major and I learned all about the risks of what philosopher Edward Said said about the, quote, romanticization of the other, end quote. But I do think we need to acknowledge, frankly, that the English just, they sometimes have the best phrase turns. Anyway, indeed, when you hear the new guidance, you might feel sick right into your cup. Um, the proposed GDPR amendment would mean that regardless of whether you've got a local EU representative, any non-EU controller that has a data breach has to report it wherever those impacted reside. One person responded to Lee's post, quote, this is a terrible idea and will likely fuel the GDPR prevents plumbers getting work brigade here in the UK. I'm not an expert in that field. I have no idea. You tell me. Next. I'm sure um, y'all saw that the FTC has extended its deadline for comments for its potential rulemaking on commercial surveillance by a full month. Announcement came out last Friday. Many of us were just finishing the conference, PSR, and partly because life and partly because of the announcement's proximity to our collective exhaustion from the conference, privacy pros everywhere seemingly absolutely rejoice that they might ponder their responses now over a cup of coffee rather than a shot of whiskey. 
or that they might type responses from their home office rather than from the third row of their daughter's ballet recital. After all, there's 95 questions to weigh in on, uh, though reminder, Commissioner Alvaro Bedoya has given everyone permission to answer just some of the questions and still get full credit. Uh, next up, just a note about how I'm a little bit enjoying watching regulators tweet lately like humans would about all the heat they're taking on enforcement. We know there's been plenty written about GDPR fines and whether they're rapid enough or steep enough. The FTC has faced similar criticism here in the U.S. for years. I mean, there's always going to be critics. The critics say of the FTC, you know, it has no teeth, et cetera. But it's been kind of interesting lately to see a little feist out of those taking the criticism. So the other day... Christine Wilson said she stopped doing interviews because, and I quote, yes, I'm declining lots of invites to speak. There are not enough hours in the day to, one, address the barrage of misguided policy ideas and procedural hijinks. Two, push for languishing good causes that stars on either side of this word should be brought. And three, identify slash air new ways the FTC is abusing its power saucy. And then ICO John Edwards, who I love, as you know, he's from New Zealand, tweeted the other day, while, quote, you've noticed that I don't tweet about work stuff much. Every now and then I retweet an ICO news post about one of our many enforcement actions with a slightly snarky, why don't you enforce? Because that's one of the most common questions I get. He then threaded about the reasons the ICO does enforce and why it matters, which honestly was a little less fire than what I thought was going to follow that opening tweet. But after all, you know, he's from New Zealand. They're very kind people. Regardless, every institution that matters is always behind some press office that has to deliver something so watered down and benign and safe. And it gives little insight into the people or the collective group of people who are actually doing the jobs that matter so much to all of us in the privacy industry, for example. And also the clients, some of us advise. So I sort of appreciated that. Check out Edwards and Wilson on Twitter for some signs of life. Lastly, while the California Privacy Protection Agency, the CPPA, was supposed to hold two meetings, October 21 and 22, and announced it's canceled those meetings, though the reasons for doing so are unknown. I'm not speculating there's drama or something. That's just the news. You probably heard that Alistair McTaggart, the real estate mogul who decided California was to have a privacy law one day and then later decided it needed a version two, is the latest member of that agency. All right, let's talk about last week because this show is based on it. I did feel, as I noted in my newsletter this week, uh, the Privacy Beat newsletter, find it on our website. Seriously, go subscribe. The conference seemed to indicate a shift in focus for me. I asked one of my buddies, Julian Flamont, who's a privacy attorney at Hogan Levels, what he felt was different. And he said, you know, despite the topographically diverse privacy landscape these days, or maybe because of it, we seem to be getting back to basics. It's like there's a renewed focus on what matters most, which is, of course, using privacy's foundational wisdom on data minimization, transparency, use limitation to grow your business, but still do right by your people. You know, those ones who trust you with their data. And I sort of felt that too. Looking at the sessions, it seemed like we've moved on from simply like how to comply with CCPA or what's a data sale. I went to sessions like designing for inclusive privacy and data privacy and civil rights, governing discriminatory AI data and the evolution of LGBTQ data protection. I mean, sure, we've had discussions on some of these things before, but I really did feel like this year we've stopped asking hypotheticals and realized some hard truths about consumer rights in the U.S. today. It felt like a moment, but also maybe I'm just tired and nostalgic. You decide. Anyway, in this episode, I did some drive-by recordings with random people I saw at the event. I mean, they're not totally random, like I know these people, most of them. 
but none of this was planned. So this episode is going to be a bit bumpy, a bit noisy, but I wanted to bring you the feel, shape, and sound of the conference in case you weren't there or in case you were, but you wanted to hear about it anyway. All right. Love you. Talk soon. Go read my newsletter. Okay, I'm here in Austin at PSR 22, and uh, I thought I would take y'all with me to give you sort of the vibe of the conference and do some interviews with folks, uh, you know, sort of man on the street style to hear what people are thinking about while they're here, the issues that they're facing, what they're worried about, and maybe have some fun. So let's see what we see. First up, my buddy Julian Flamont, an attorney at Hogan Lovells, and the only person in my life who, due to his French-Canadian background, pronounces my name the way I love it. Doesn't Angelique just sound so much better than Angelique? I know, I think so too. Uh, okay, Julian, one of my all-time favorites. Also, I'm going to hold this kind of close to your mouth because it's not a great recorder. Okay. I got it at Target right before I came. So we're in the exhibit hall. I saw Julian and I shouted his name out because I always love chatting with him for the podcast and in general. Uh, also, I really love drinking uh, olive. What is it you got me drinking? It's the gin martini. He had me. Yes, the dirty martini is a favorite of mine. I used to do it with vodka, and uh, Julian was adamant that I had to do gin. Absolutely. So that that that's a change in my life that's been affected by Julian. But Julian, um, so I'm trying to catch like what the vibe is here at PSR, like what everyone's thinking about, worried about. In past years, it's been things like, oh my God, GDPR is coming or CCPA 2.0 is coming. But what would you say people are sort of like buzzing about or focus on if anything well yeah i mean that's a great point i think when a particular regulation is coming down that affects everyone there's really a focus i would say this year uh the focus is a bit more dispersed and we're dealing with a lot of different issues so my expectation was that a lot of panels would be focused on the state laws that are coming down or that are about to be implemented and that's not really what we're seeing Uh, i spoke on a location data panel that was kind of scoped around the emerging state laws. Uh, But really, I haven't seen too much else uh, focusing on that. And instead, what we have are folks really focusing on the fundamentals of privacy, making sure that they have the technical aspects of compliance uh, in place in their organizations. So there are panels like uh, you know, data mapping 411. In addition to that, I think this is an opportunity for privacy pros to really think a little more broadly. And so we have forward-looking panels, uh, like how, you know, regulation is important, or, you know, it's important to uh, to look at privacy and data uses uh, for, for disadvantaged groups, uh, or new technologies. That's another big one, as always, at PSR. Uh, and so it's really been a big, it's been a mixed bag. But what I will say is that it's really vibrant here. And I think I saw that it's the biggest PSR ever with 2,000 registrants. So it's just been great to be here and to see, you know, old friends and meet new people and to learn a little bit. Uh, you're one of the busiest lawyers I know. Do you, how many hours a night do you sleep? Uh, as many as possible. I'll tell you, during PSR week, I don't sleep much. <laughs> Uh, but I think like everybody in the industry, you know, we have some late nights, uh, especially with the developments and the pace at which development
investments are coming from California and Colorado and at the federal level, it definitely keeps us up late. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that there's kind of a focus on getting back to fundamentals because I sort of feel that too. And actually someone else mentioned that. And it's sort of interesting at this stage because, you know, you know, we've been coming to these conferences for what, like 10, 12 years or something. So it's kind of funny to say like at this point that we're kind of almost going back to basics, but it's sort of like, to me, that sort of makes sense. And I'm just spitballing here because there is so much to track and so much to take care of and so much to know that like, really, it seems like if you focus in on the fundamentals of doing privacy, right, then you're going to be in a much better spot to deal with all the things that are flying at you, right? That's absolutely it. I think what happens over time is that, you know, folks in companies are really busy, and so they have a new regulation to deal with, and they try to jump on that, and they'll pull in their outside counsel like me and work internally and just kind of try to get their compliance program scoped out. What's happening now is that we have not only so much regulation um, arriving, like being implemented, we have also have a lot of different regulations being implemented. And you can really only uh, support all of those or build compliance programs that account for all of them if you have the fundamentals in place. And so things like data mapping uh, are so important, uh, but also making sure you have a good team under you with the right training. And so that's kind of what I refer to as the fundamentals, and I see a real push here to understand how to do those things internally. I like that. Uh, finally, uh, are you going tonight? Uh, I know we're all tired and we got another day of conferencing tomorrow, but are you going to the, uh, the big party tonight? I hear that there are going to be go-go dancers and drag queens. I absolutely will be there, and I know a lot of my friends brought full outfits, and I wanted to buy a hat here, uh, and instead I bought a bolo tie. So I'll be rocking a bolo tie. Also, Hogan Lovells is a sponsor, and we have a green uh, drink that we're calling, that I named GDPR Envy, uh, as a little nod to the efforts here to establish a federal privacy law. I like it. I like it. All right, we'll see you there. Thanks, Angelique. Take care. Next, my friend Irene Moe, who's an attorney at Hinsey Law and was wearing the most sassy, sparkling heel booties I have ever seen. Like, they look like something Jayla would rock, and I was very impressed. I'm only capable of wearing flat shoes that look old. Um, okay, Irene, we are we go back, and uh, I always love seeing you at conferences. You're amazing. I've loved watching your, like rise to success and like being a speaker also you're rocking these amazing uh sparkling boots is it have they are they comfortable enough you've been able to wear them around they, they are comfortable whenever i pick out heels i always do a test run on them because in serial killer movies it's the girl's heels that always dies first and that's not going to be me so i always do a little test run before i wear boot, wear heels anywhere i love it so much um how has the conference been for you has it been like different from past experiences and is there anything that you'd say is like people are generally like chatting about or interested about or nervous about in the privacy space i think the conference has been great i think this has been like a reunion of sorts for a lot of people as you know i know we had summit in april but there are still people who are just this is their first conference coming back so it's been a really great reunion i think as a woman of color in this field and part of the marginalized communities, a lot of us here are really grappling with the fact of the Dobbs decision being in Texas. And I've noticed that as the theme of a lot of panels, at least I've attended, where you know, us as privacy professionals, we do have a duty to be responsible with the data we hold and being thoughtful with it, especially when you know we're trying to grapple with these legal decisions that affect people's freedoms and health. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I was talking to Coben about this earlier, too, that, like, it seems like we really are starting to focus on specific groups, and that might be harmed or more vulnerable than other groups. And I wonder, as a woman of color and as a woman um, in this space, do you feel supported by the privacy community? Do you feel like there's a sense that we're rallying around this? Or is it, a, is it sort of like those marginalized groups are having to sort of rise up and carry that themselves? I think in the privacy community, more than the other ones I'm in, for example, specifically legal ones or just security or anything, this is really a sort of the middle of the Venn diagram of a lot of these different communities, a lot of these different organizations where we all have different facets in our lives. And I think here more than in other communities that I'm part of, there is a rise of, you know, cisgender, heterosexual white men who are listening to us, who are saying, hey, we recognize it's really tiring for you to always be the voice of reason in the groups, and we want to help you take the burden off your shoulders. So I feel the privacy community, more than anything, is being really supportive, and even in the LGBTQ data protection panel that a lot of my colleagues were on, there were allies there who were like, what can we do to do better? You know, we don't want to take the platform away from you guys when it's time for you to have your voice amplified. But at the same time, we don't want you to be doing all the work. So I feel like those questions are more prevalent here. Mm -hmm. And there is a real engagement of people who are typically part of the group of oppressors Mm -hmm. trying to understand how they can help and how they can amplify our voices. That's amazing. I love that. Um, two more questions for you. One, you're at Hinsley Law now. <clears throat> you're amazing. Super smart person. Um, what are you grappling with um, at your practice, or what are most of your clients really grappling with right now? Is it state law? Is it like, what are they? What are they dealing with? I think the two big things that my clients are thinking about are how to provide data subject rights to employees and business-to-business contact information with the exceptions in California ending. They really have to rethink how they're providing those rights, who to provide those rights to, because it's definitely a different group than the consumers. And of course, in GDPR land, they've had to do this, but for some of my clients who are mostly U.S.-based, that's a much smaller sect than it is providing it to their entire U.S. workforce or their B2B contacts. The second thing I hear a lot of people really worried about are the new EU standard contractual clauses and the UK addendum. When you're at a global company, you might have 10,000 contracts for one business unit. So Mm -hmm. trying to figure out a a risk-based approach on how to update those contracts by the deadline has been something that we've really been working with our clients on and advising how to do that in a risk-based approach. Um, Did you have fun at the party last night? I loved that Hinsey Law sponsored condoms that said protect yourself and your data or something like that. Um, Highlights, did you have a great time? It was great. I love the go-go dancers. I love everyone that turned out. I love the men who are rocking full-on suits yes. there. Um, it was very crowded yeah. and very hot in there. So kudos to them for, you know, turning up in full suits. But I also loved all the people who were Western and rodeo themed yeah. that showed up and really get into the theme. I think our firm sponsoring that party, you know, at every conference is really important to us. Um, Jevin said that we're the queerest privacy law firm, and I think our numbers can back that up. So I'm so proud to be part of Hinsey Law, so proud to be part of a firm that sponsors those kind of events. 
Next up, Jeff Gary from Monument Advocacy, who I hadn't met before this conference, but he was rocking an amazing getup ahead of the LGBTQ bash, so I figured he'd have something good to say. Plus, before I interviewed him, he was saying something in conversation to Coben that he brings the spice. So tell me a little bit about like why, like why did you come to PSR? What are you sort of here to learn about or do or talk about? Yeah, I wanted to come, I think, you know, being in D.C., we get sort of a specific set of issues that we think about. You know, obviously we get caught up in what's Congress doing, what's, you know, the regulators doing. Uh, but having the folks in from California, from the companies who, you know, I, I represent some companies, but hearing what other people are focused on and thinking about and just, you know, how they're thinking about it is is very interesting. Yeah. Hearing, for instance, you know, how, how Walgreens is thinking about Dobbs. Yes, is, you know, I was in that session. Were you there? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, you know, and just thinking about often, you know, in my daily work, we're talking about consumer protection issues and, you know, like how does data affect consumers, but it's employees, it's, you know, uh, across the board. So I, I think just the ability of, of everyone to be in one place is, like, very productive. Yeah. And I thought from that that panel that we attended on Life After Dobbs or whatever it was called, um, you know, having that Dallas-based OBGYN and the yeah. pharmacist there, like, these are really the people on the front lines that I wasn't even really thinking of them. Like, I was thinking more of, like, the patients. But, like, these yeah. people are now, like, having to, like, really figure out, like, treading some ethical lines and some legal lines, right? Yeah. Like, what was your sort of thought when you were in that pan- in that sesh? It, yeah, you know, it's it's been it's been interesting, and I, I'm glad that that voice, that, that she was in there, you know, I... I I've been sort of participating in, in a CDT working group on, on Dobbs that has been very thoughtful and deliberate about bringing those voices in. Yeah. Uh, and one thing that's been a big learning curve, I think, for myself, and I'm, I'm sure for other folks, is saying, you know, we come at it from a, you know, you know is your is your phone tracking you, mm-hmm. you know, question, but it's also a, it's a civil rights question, it's a civil liberties, it's a gender and reproductive rights question that other advocacy folks have been working on for, you know, decades, uh, and figuring out how to find a way to plug the tech conversation into that, the data conversation into that, and not sort of run over it and, you know, not sort of cast those voices aside has been, I think, a really big part of, of just thinking about how to, to approach that question. Yeah. Um, so you also mentioned a second ago that um, people, have you been hearing some chit-chatter about um, the CPPA and people are all, like, hyped up over what's happening uh, in California? Yeah, I, I, hyped up over California is, is possibly a gentle way of saying it. Um, you know, it's interesting. Obviously, CPPA, CPRA get a lot of airtime. You know, I, I think that there are some sleepers out there too, right? Connecticut's coming online. Uh, Colorado is coming online. Colorado that, you know, went out of its way to not exclude nonprofits and governments, right? A much more sweeping bill just in scope and without some of the, uh, you know, technical snags that the California law has just in terms of drafting and, and you know, um, sort of its overall structure. You know, in Connecticut, you know, they're going to join a multi-state and, and make problems, right? And and that's all going to be coming up. So I think the, the focus on California is important, uh, but it shouldn't detract from, you know, focus on the other states that have those laws coming online, even, even though California obviously is a huge market. Is it weird that Alistair McTaggart is now on the CPPA after he created the CCPA? Like, there's just something that feels strange about it. I think people are mad. What, what are your thoughts? Is it weird or no? Or does it make so much sense? I think there are a lot of personalities at play in California. And I'd say yes and yes. It strikes me as, you know, a, a, a different pick than they've 
previously gone with, right? You know, a uh, different set of skills and expertise than, you know, for instance, Jennifer Urban. Uh, I also think it makes sense in, in, in the sense of how deeply involved he was in the, you know, creation and process and, and being in the room in a certain way makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the intent of the law, right? Sort of seeing it through. And what's tricky about that is, and, and I will disclaim that I have no expertise in California regulatory law, right? But if we were thinking about it from a federal matter, you know, the thoughts and, and intents of, of, you know, Mr. McTaggart are not really salient as a sort of regulatory litigation, um, you know, rulemaking uh, uh, background and, and, and record. And so I'm not sure if that's going to complicate things, if, you know, there are they're ironing things out in the background based on what they tried to do in 2018 versus what they actually got written down. I, I, I could see that complicating things in, in terms of litigation and, and regulatory actions. Last question. Do you feel like you should have won the award for best outfit at the party last night? It was pretty amazing. Were there awards for outfits? I, I you know, if I had known that, I would have thought about it a little bit more before I packed. Um, no, the um, the Grinder Boys, uh, the policy team, and Kevin took me thrifting, and it was a delightful time. Uh, and we had a lovely time on Wednesday, I think, uh, between sessions, going out to some of the you know the fun little local places in Austin. So uh, just just lucky finds on my part. You pulled it off. Thank Thanks for right. chatting. <laughs> Lastly, you've heard him on the podcast before. The IBP's Coben's wife, Keegan, my bestie. I was talking to Julian about this because I think in other conferences it's been like, um, okay, GDPR is coming and we're going to have a thousand panels and everyone's going to talk about that at all times. Or CCPA 2.0 is coming and oh my God. This one, it seems like there's not necessarily like a central hot topic. And like what Julian was saying, which I thought was interesting, is like, he's like, I feel like there's a lot of like getting back to basics. Like we're just trying to like, everyone's dealing with so much that we're almost like going back to like foundational privacy and just trying to like tackle what we can tackle and therefore like be able to cope with everything that's coming at us. But like, do you have a sense of what people are interested in or is there anything that's been happening at this conference conversation-wise that like kind of you've taken note of? Or is it just here, there, and everywhere? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, it hits on a couple of things that I really care a lot about. One is just that the, um, the profession for me has always been one that's not rooted in compliance, right? It's supposed to be something that goes beyond compliance, that's focused on those foundational principles that you're talking about. And that's a really good thing because it allows us to be adaptive. Like when there's new technologies, when there's new regulations coming along, and when there's new like harms, like after Dobbs, like having to kind of reconsider how we're thinking about a whole variety of types of information that we're collecting um, that may impact people's everyday lives. Um, it's really helpful to be able to go back to those, those foundational principles. And I, so I do think that's part of what's fueling this idea. Even as we're seeing lots of new regulations, we're also having to um, remind people that uh, it's really the, the same kind of standardized uh, um, principles and considerations and kind of... Uh, even like workflows that we need to go back to when we're thinking about designing and building new processes and systems. Um, the other thing for me that goes beyond that though, uh, I think one big theme, and this might just be kind of indicative of the panels that I've decided to be part of, um, to, 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 to watch this time, but um, I, 
there's a big trend now, and I think the next trend coming in privacy is to go well beyond this idea of privacy by design um, by creating um, by embedding within teams some uh, understanding of the unique needs of lots of different kinds of users. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not just, I think traditionally, um, and it's hard enough doing this, so it's like, uh, this is kind of like next level, it's like 3D chess or something, but like, it's hard enough doing privacy by design, like thinking through, here's the, um, how am I going to get a, a team that's building something new to think about privacy as a, as a first principle and kind of think through the potential harms and risks involved. But what I'm seeing as a theme is that there's new uh, a, a new emphasis on uh, thinking about lots of different types of users. So not just designing to the average user, but designing um, uh, based in a way that also considers the unique um, challenges and harms that might. Uh, be uh, visited upon marginalized communities, um, certain age groups like teens and children, um, even seniors, uh, people of color, uh, LGBTQ individuals. So there was some, there was excellent uh, programming at this conference uh, related to stuff like that. Um, a really cool uh, group of queer privacy lawyers who talked, uh, not just lawyers, privacy professionals talking about. Um, uh, their experience and how companies can try to operationalize around that, but also an awesome panel on inclusive privacy design. And I think that is the that's one direction that we're headed. I think that's one area where people are going to need to adapt. And it's a it's a really big challenge where you're like, how do I think about all of the things, all of the different groups of people? But kind of just walking, like adding that as a step, walking through this kind of mindset of like. Have I thought about how teenage users are going to use this product, or how have I thought about how people how people of color might use it differently, or how they might have additional burdens that would that I hadn't thought about when thinking when designing this? That's going to be um, increasingly important moving forward, and we're starting to see that reflected in regulation. So we see California's age-appropriate design code. That's really what that's doing. It's saying do that for kids and teens, um, but I think it might spread beyond that too. And it certainly is a is a best practice that's emerging. Yeah, and I thought that was really cool too. I mean, we do see like you know the laws are starting to mandate that we think about those marginalized groups, like the post Dobbs decision and or the the life post Dobbs. I will say, which we had a panel on that was really cool. Um, you mentioned the queer panel, which I didn't get to go to, but I heard some sound bites from, and I thought it sounded really powerful. Um, yeah. You actually tweeted out a quote from that where one of the panelists said, like, I want to give you, like, queer privacy practitioners, like, I want to give you permission to rest. Like, you can't do this alone, right? Like, it's going to take, like, a massive amount of work from a massive amount of people to get done, like, what we need to get done. Speaking of LGBTQ, I thought something that was really cool, because we know that, you know, having the conference here was sort of controversial in a post-ops world, um, but one thing that was amazing about it was that you threw this amazing party last night that benefited uh, LGBT tech uh, mm -hmm. it, locally, and some of those folks came to the event and, uh, and were there, and I just thought it was like, it was really a moment for me in terms of, I tweeted this at you last night, but I just feel like especially like as a group of privacy professionals who are now stewards of data that could really 
impact people's lives if it was shared with the wrong people and we have these bounty hunter situations in post-ops world and I just felt like last night it was like a really amazing celebration of like the privacy community coming together and embracing like who we are as a profession and where we are now in a way that we haven't done before. Like, you've thrown these parties the last couple of years with your cohorts, and I really think, like, it feels like a moment for us. Did you have that vibe at the party? Yeah, definitely, and thanks so much. It was it was, it was was a really fun uh, fun gathering, and we um, it, it exceeded expectations, um, which uh, I, I think we're going to... It'll be increasingly difficult to exceed expectations if we keep raising expectations. But Drag queens and go-go dancers, and it was amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, the whole idea behind... So these used to be kind of happy hour gatherings that would happen around um, the conferences. It was just 12 queer people standing around a bar. Maybe we'd have to pay for our own drinks. It was mm-hmm. just a place to like meet fellow uh, LGBTQ folks in the community and, and kind of know that like that there's others like you. Um, we've changed kind of the narrative around that and been more focused on a fully inclusive uh, gathering, say, saying like it's LGBTQ and allies. We're mm-hmm. all coming together in a queer space, but in a in a way that like highlights the fact that this is an inclusive community and, and, a, and a place where people can be themselves and still be professionals and um, kind of be uh, sharing a, a like-minded experience um, of uh, yet, like you said, around things that really do impact a lot of um, uh, sexual minorities and everything else. Um, the other thing that we've changed in recent uh, times hosting these is, is making it a, a fundraising activity, mm-hmm. um, trying to benefit local organizations um, that are providing actual services uh, to LGBTQ folks. So at, uh, at Summit, we uh, worked with Smile, which is a local DC organization that benefits LGBTQ youth. Like you said, here it was with LGBT Tech, which is actually a national organization. They're, okay. they're a grant-making org, um, and they do they have they run some programs too um, that helps to, that help to provide technology to LGBTQ uh, folks. But they. Um, they worked with us as our hosting organization to also provide uh, some of the funds that were raised uh, to local organizations here in Austin, which, yeah, as you mentioned, was really one of the things we wanted to make sure to do to try to uh, help to offset any uh, kind of economic impact of our presence here in Austin um, and, and to recognize that, like, even though um, Texas may have uh, politics that we disagree with and that are obviously impacting um, uh really negatively people like trans individuals and people who can have children um we uh those people still live here there still are trans people and lgbtq uh, all of all shapes and sizes here in texas and there's still uh people who are in need of of uh, reproductive health care um so uh lgbt tech was nice enough to um share the 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 funding that they've uh, that they helped to raise at this event with a um, uh, reproductive health uh, organization called the Lilith Fund, um, and also uh, a local trans uh, a local organization that provides uh, services to trans youth. So um, uh, yeah, we're really that that was a success, and we hope to continue to kind of have that model moving forward. It, it kind of I, I love the idea of the privacy profession coming together as a community for a cause, which is really showing that we can have a direct impact. Um, and kind of and showing that like all of the it's great to always see the kind of the board with lots of sponsor names to say like um, uh, this is all uh, the whole community came together and everyone is is here to support uh, this cause so um, yeah 
I really enjoy it. It's great. One of the highlights, too, was that um, Hinsey Law provided condoms that said protect yourself and your data, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hinsey uh, has become the, uh, the uh, Hinsey Law is now famous as the, the probably the most queer uh, boutique privacy law firm. And, um, <laughs> they, they ran with it and they are all about um, uh, safe sex and safe uh, best practices uh, around, uh, around personal information. So uh, it was great. And I love working with uh, Jevin from their team on our, on our organizing committee. That's the other thing about this is a huge team effort. Um, not It makes it really easy, honestly, because uh, I just do this as a volunteer, and there's five of us in a little organizing committee. Um, it's great to have a group of people that, like, you know, I, I keep saying that the, the kind of people that every, all of them, all of us were people that uh, would have done the group project on our own um, back in school when you got assigned a group project, uh, but here we are together, and we all take our own pieces, and we run with it, and we just make decisions and make things happen, and it always seems to work out fine in the end, um, and it's uh, it also couldn't be possible without, like, the, the, the um, kind of hosting orgs, the, the, the charities that work with us, because they actually help to make sure everything uh, run smoothly, and then they can they can benefit from it. But they invest a lot of their own resources into into seeing it, and they're always blown away. Like that's if you talk to to Chris from LGBT Tech or the people from Smile, they're just so amazed by the fact that this is a, that these are professional events, right? Or you talk to the go-go dancers, and they're like, "Is this a work party?" <laughs> um, <laughs> I also have the same thought. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it feels really nice to be able to be a part of a community that can that can have that kind of work.